Welcome. You have discovered the felon file. Formerly known as 542 and the Blue. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. Felonfile.com is a podcast exploration and discussion of law enforcement, history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and elsewhere. Today's discussion. The Morris Murders of 1879. An unsolved murder investigation of husband and wife, Charles Henry Morris and Esther Jones Morris of Decatur, Michigan. They were murdered in the middle of the night by an unknown person or persons. What was the motive? Who is the killer? These questions have never been answered. Background music. By Kevin McLeod. Used per common license. Scott. You're online. Thank you, Victoria, for starting us out. Welcome back to Felony File, formerly known as 542 in the Blue, where we look at some different stories dealing with crime, punishment, court cases, investigations, so on and so forth. Usually in the Appalachian Mountains, but we do go beyond. We do go overseas and look at things other places of the world. Today we're looking at the rural farm country of Decatur, Michigan, 1879. The Morris murders is an unsolved homicide that occurred, like I said, in 1875 of a husband and wife, Charles Henry Morris and Esther Jones Morris of Decatur, Michigan. Now it is thought the homicide occurred about nine o'clock on a Sunday evening. Then the suspect ended up taking a horse and making good his escape that way. The horse was found in South Bend, Indiana early on Monday morning. Horse was in a jaded condition according to the media reports and showed that he had once worn a saddle. The saddle was never located again. A young lady who was an employee of the Morris family slept upstairs and was home when the homicide happened and didn't know about it until the next morning. On the night of September 28, 1879, in an out-of-the-way farmhouse along a country road in Decatur, Michigan, Mr. and Mrs. Morris had gone to bed about 8.30, sun being down, and the only other individual in the house at the time was, like I said, was a young lady by the name of Janine Bull. Now around 9 p.m. Mr. and Mrs. Morris were shot dead and within minutes within minutes of one another and they were left where they fell. Mr. Morris was found lying on the east stoop of his dwelling shot twice once in the neck and once in the right breast about an inch from the nipple both of the bullets exited about an inch to the left of the spine. In the bedroom, in a small closet across from the bed, the body of Mrs. Morris was found. As her husband, she was dead where she had fallen. She was shot three times, and apparently there were some other shots that bullets were recovered from the floor from. So while she was down, apparently the shooter was firing at her. 
Like I said, she was shot three times above the left and below the right breast and also through the side and the bullet exiting going from one side to the other. This same round as it exited also put a large cut on her arm. Now robbery didn't appear to be the motive. Nothing was found to be taken. This is except for the horse. Not an expensive horse, really just a regular farm riding horse. The horse apparently used for escape by the suspect only. Now shortly after sunrise, Janine Bull, who had slept through the entire situation, the housekeeper found the Morrises dead and notified a former farmhand who had worked on the farm before that she knew. And she contacted him and said that she had found both Mr. and Mrs. Morris shot to death. Now it's not surprising that the two became persons of interest in the investigation from the get-go. A lot of stories circulated in the months afterwards. Most prominent were about Janine Bull, the housekeeper, and the former handyman, Riley Huntley. The story in the community was that on the night of the 28th, the Morrises must have gotten out of bed because someone was at the back porch. And that is where Mr. Morris was shot. Mrs. Morris, hearing the shot, must have seen the murderer enter the house. She had a revolver, but apparently dropped it while she was running to hide in a bedroom closet where she was found shot. And again, no money or jewelry were taken or reported to be missing. Regardless of the fact that it was there, that there were valuables there, were found in the house and according to the police report, easily visible, but they weren't touched. Now, after shooting the couple, the killer did steal the horse, like we said, and used it in his escape. The suspect was seen by a neighbor, a Charles Rosewarn. Now, his statement was that the person rode right past him. He did not recognize the rider or get a good look at him, but he did recognize the horse as belonging to the Morris family. And according to his statement, that was between 9.30 and 10 p.m. that night. Rose Warren told everyone about the strange rider and in particular that he wore what he described as a funny hat. That same horse was found in South Bend, Indiana a few days later. One newspaper article I found listed and stated that the horse was worn out and exhausted and he had a strange fresh branding on his left rear flank. A little bit unusual. Somebody apparently tried to change the brand. Very curious. I guess that's a lot like taking a tag off of a car today. It was later revealed that Miss Morris was pregnant at the time of the murder. Now, did this have something to do with the homicides? That's a good question. A local man by the name of Floyd Smith was accused. He was accused by the handyman from the farm, Riley Huntley, who was a handyman, it turned out, that was fired by the Morrises due to his overindulgence of drinking. After the authorities became suspicious of Huntley, Huntley redirected them and accused Floyd Smith and even swore out an affidavit that 
Smith was involved. This was enough information that officials ended up arresting Floyd Smith, who lived just east of Decatur, the charge of suspicion of murder in the Morris case. And on the night of December 17, 1879, Floyd Smith was taken into custody. He was arrested by Constable Botsford and and a deputy Scott Smith. This ended up leading to a trial that was held or a hearing that was held in town hall to see if there was enough probable cause to, for a court case. I would imagine this is very similar to what happens in my jurisdiction with a grand jury indictment. Now Smith was not held long. There was very little evidence against him. Now this was an unpopular decision very because local outrage of the homicide was very strong. A few nights after his release from custody Floyd Smith was kidnapped from his home by a group of masked men. They took him out into the woods placed a noose around his neck. The leader of the group of masked men told him, If you confess now, we will take you back to jail and turn you in for trial. Of course, fearfully, Mr. Smith said, I cannot confess to anything or something I didn't do. So they hauled him up by the neck while he gasped and struggled. Uh, the idea of hanging is using it as an execution method is generally you strangle or you cause the body to jerk when the scaffolding is opened up and that snaps the neck in instantaneous death. This didn't kill Smith. They hauled him up and down several times without getting a confession and they finally ended up letting him go when they all agreed that one more hanging and dragging him up off the ground would probably finish him off and kill him. They left him unconscious in the woods. And the tragic results of this attempt at mob justice was soon apparent. Floyd Smith's wife, who was actually never very strong, somewhat sickly, she ended up dying from the shock of the kidnapping, having a heart attack. I must, um, Mr. Smith never completely recovered from the lynching or attempted hanging and lynching and suffered understandably from very serious neck problems the rest of his life. It's also estimated that it contributed to his death a few years later. He died in the small Michigan town of Pawpaw. He had to move out of the town he was in after the accusations were being made. Friends said there was nothing to indicate that he knew anything about the Morris murder. He maintained his innocence up until he died. Even on his deathbed, he stated that he was not involved and had no knowledge whatsoever of the homicide and who the suspect or suspects might be. The sensational murder was covered heavily by the newspapers across the state of Michigan and gained national attention as well. You can find a lot of these newspaper clippings online today. The Pinkerton Detective Agency was brought in. 
and though it was investigated vigorously, the murderer was never caught. The bullets found in the body of the murdered couple and the ones that were recovered from the floor were all alike and apparently old-style army cartridges. They were pointed and having the hollow end two creases around the base of the bullet. The bullets were reviewed by a ballistic expert and yes they had those in 1859. The ballistics expert documented that the bullet showed to have been shot from a Remington revolver instead of a Colt Navy revolver as everyone originally thought as the indications on the lead bullets seemed to show. No one was brought to justice or ever brought to trial. Local police and state police worked the investigation following up on everything they could. The case file or parts of it still exist and have been reviewed numerous times. Pinkerton investigators, as I mentioned, worked with the authorities. They worked by themselves. It's not really clear who paid the bill for the private investigators and hired police, but perhaps they were after or Perhaps they were working towards the reward. Large awards were offered for information, but no one came forward that resulted in the award being issued. Now, after the murder of the property and farm with its extensive, expensive house that was built years earlier by Henry's father, Dolphin Morris, it stood empty for close to 10 years. Relatives had auctioned off and sold all the personal effects from the house. They boarded it up and nobody wanted to live there. They tried to sell the property the house was on and nobody seemed to be interested. In his history of Van Buren County, published in 1912, Police Captain Rowland mentioned the case. He said, quote, the murder was never brought to justice, although a large reward was offered by the public authorities for his apprehension and conviction. Strong suspicion was entertained as to the perpetrator of the dastardly deed, but his identity was never established and the whereabouts of the suspected individual who immediately disappeared from public view has never been made manifest. The homicide has never been solved, even with the work of local state and, of course, the Pinkerton detectives. Did the victim know the killer? No weapon was located except for the one, except for the one found with Miss Morris, with her body. Mr. Morris was found outside on his back step. Now it's possible he knew his killer, opening the door at night unarmed to a stranger would have been highly unusual for that day and time and location. I think there was probably only one person involved, mainly due to the fact, as Ben Franklin said, two can keep a secret if one of them are dead. An accomplice to the crime would be hard-pressed to keep his mouth shut so long without letting out some clue or indication of possible involvement. The only witness did not recognize the suspect. He did recognize, of course, the horse. And the horse was found later. 
The only thing he did notice was that the suspect had an unusual hat. Perhaps it wasn't a hat. Perhaps it was a disguise or part of a uniform, so to speak. For example, maybe it was a hood. Now, there were several vigilante type groups that were active in the area. For example, the group that uh, captured Mr. Smith and almost killed him by the uh, simulated hanging. Uh, another group, the Bald Knobbers. They were a group of vigilantes in a little bit uh, south of there in the Ozark region of the United States. They were active from 1883 to 1889. They are commonly depicted wearing wearing black horned hoods with white outlines of faces painted on them. A distinction that evolved during the rapid proliferation of the group into other neighboring areas. There were also the white cappers. White capping was a violent lawless movement among farmers that occurred during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It was originally a ritualized form of extra-legal actions to enforce community standards, appropriate behavior, and traditional rights. The white capping movement started in Indiana around 1837 as white males began forming these secret societies in order to attempt to deliver what they considered justice on the frontier that was independent from what the state was doing. These groups became known as the White Caps. The first White Cap operations generally aimed at those who went against a community's values. Men who neglected or abused their family, people who showed excessive laziness, women who had had children out of wedlock, all were likely targets. Was the Morris family the victim of white capping? Did the husband or wife violate some community standard and was punished? Apparently the, the fact that Miss Morris was pregnant at the time was not a well-known condition. Was that a possible motive for the homicide? Was perhaps Mr. Morris not the father? None of the documentation I've found could show exactly how far along or approximately how far along the Mrs. Morris was in her pregnancy. Coming back to the white capping and our individuals possibly wearing hoods, I really don't think that was the involvement. The incident of attempting hanging on the only suspect arrested points that way. That's our Shade of Blue story for this Saturday. What do you think? The homicide is still a cold case, still unsolved. Granted, the suspect or perpetrators are probably long since dead. But it is unusual with all the interest in that particular case at that time. A suspect never materialized. Well, like I said, what do you guys think? Drop me a line through one of my websites, scottlunsfordauthor.com, or go on straight to 
felonfile.com and you can reach me through those websites. Be happy to hear from you and get your opinion or your thoughts on this cold case from the 1800s. In the meantime, remember, try your best to be safe and secure. And during this pandemic thing we're still going through, be sure to wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance. I don't want to have to go through the COVID virus situation again. So if you won't wear it for yourself, geez, wear it for me. I appreciate it, y'all. Victoria, you can go ahead and close us out. Bye, y'all. You have been listening to The Felon File, hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, or Scott's books and writings go to scottlunsfordauthor.com or felonfile.com. Scott can also be reached via these web pages. This is Victoria your producer. 2. 1. End.